Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's Friday before a long weekend, and I'm going home to my baby. How are you? It's uh, I'm slithering out of work at 2.30 in the afternoon on a Friday after a rather challenging week, which I will talk to you about some other time. And we're heading home for a beautiful weekend with the bride. And I hope that you're doing well, and I hope that you had a good week. And with any luck, you got out a little bit early too. So, to continue the joyful chat this morning... Uh, to continue from the joyful chat this morning, I thought it might be worth talking about a little bit in a little bit more detail what I mean by managing your own feelings by manipulating others. And with any luck, I will manage my own disappointment at donations by manipulating you into giving me a kidney or a first one. I'll take either one. I'm not fussy. And I thought it would be worth having a chat about it because... I talked about it at the end of the podcast this morning, but didn't go into it into the usual bone-scraping atomic grain of sand on a beach level of detail that I am want to, and so I thought I'd talk a little bit about it in the realm of torture. So it, this will be a, uh, uh, gosh, how to put it, a tortuous amount of detail about, well, torture. So the idea of how we deal with discomfort is a very, very interesting idea. And it is really the beginning of wisdom to approach the problem of discomfort in a rational way, in an objective way, and in, may I dare say it, a moral way. And the question of how we deal with discomfort is one of the basic foundations for, I think, the criteria for a successful or unsuccessful life in terms of happiness and unhappiness. Because our unconscious is really not that uh, fragile and neither are we. So to deal with discomfort, learning to deal with personal discomfort is a very, very important part of uh, becoming a mature, wise adult to the degree with which we're all flailing away at that. (laughs) This would be something that I would talk about. And I've certainly had more than my more than an occasional twinge of discomfort when I've started after I started doing these podcasts. So after I sort of emerged from my layer of consolidation of ego strength, <laughs> so to speak, I think that's actually a cave in Italy, uh, if I understand the Italian translation correctly. After I emerged from this particular process, I was able to put myself out there in terms of the podcasts, and of course, if I were Steph Limbaugh or something like that, then I would simply continue talking about politics and rouse up, uh, do a lot of rabble-rousing and, and thunder at this, that, or the other, and would gain a much wider uh, audience, I think. Relative, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not unhappy with the audience that we've gotten, I'm very happy with it, but if I had taken so, sort of the more direct route of these topics and not... Uh, basically pissed people off about their families, <laughs> their relationships, then I would be, uh, I think uh, we would have a greater listenership, though, of course, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be worth doing, right? I mean, we don't need another human being out there talking about uh, merely or uh, only the, um, the free market. That's not, I mean, plenty of people have talked about the free market, Plenty of people have talked about uh, minarchism as a small state, and plenty of people have, uh, ta- even some people have talked about anarchism and so on. 
but there's not, I think, a lot of people who try to do the, the whole bow-tied package together. And since I came to anarchism through a rigorous and consistent application of certain moral principles, it really didn't make much sense for me to say, okay, well, I'm going to talk about these moral principles, but only in terms of the state. And to that insight, of course, I owe everything, as I do most things that are decent about me, to, uh, to my wife, who is... Uh, not only very funny for those who've listened to podcast 300 and you should see the live imitation of me it's it's quite something let me tell you it's very funny but uh, i owe a good deal to her intellectual acuity in this area so you are uh, you're taking on a team baby but since i started doing this because i go further than politics and i start talking about the family and i say you know your your mother wears army army boots and your daddy's in a dress and all this kind of stuff, then what's happened is I've received yeah, quite a, maybe a little more than my fair share of uh, volatile emails about people who uh, not exactly call me every name in the book, but who are not always too curious or complimentary about my approach to these kinds of issues. And so I have found that I have gone through my own levels of personal uh, discomfort around these kinds of issues and I used to and I'm sort of going to let you in on a on a little secret here about <laughs> what it is that I'm doing let me lift my kimono and blind you but I think it might be worth uh, going uh, uh, understanding wh- where it is I'm in the, in this just so that you can understand where I'm coming from and where if I have a certain kind of confidence and so on I'm sort of going... Well, now let, me, let me tell you a little bit before, and then we'll talk about uh, torture. And if this uh, tangential introduction is not torture enough for you in order to set up the topic, then I just don't feel that I'm doing my job properly. So I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll take a cut, a pay cut. So if uh, I start wandering into the realms of the family and personal relationships and say that we should not focus all of our energies on the state, but rather should achieve freedom in our personal lives through this, that, and the other and that other people's ethical or moral behavior is not under your control. Your only control is whether you see them and blah, blah, blah. So now I sort of got a whackload uh, uh, when I started delving into these topics of emails about uh, you know, what a bad guy I was, how intolerant I was, how culty I was, and blah, blah, blah. And as a sensitive soul, these things cut me to the quick, of course, right? I sort of read them and it's just like, oh, oh, I am a bad person. Well, I shouldn't say it's not quite that bad, but it is like, oh, it's more, did I go too far, more than, am I a bad person? It's more like, did I go too far in my explanation of these things? Should I start off gentle and say, well, maybe you should talk to your parents and blah, blah, blah. But I don't know that that would have been very helpful uh, for a number of reasons. In fact, I think it would have been sort of manipulative, right? I think it's important to state uh, the risk of this uh, sort of process up front and the depth of it and the power of it and then uh, let people make their own decisions. But I didn't want to trick anyone into confronting their parents. I know for a fact that when people confront their parents, it almost always goes very badly. And if it goes well, it's usually not uh, for poignantly, as uh, Stanley Kowalski says. So what I really wanted to do was to deal with these issues head on about family as, as the root of the power of the state and religion and so on. And of course, it's, uh, it's pissed off a lot of people. It's alienated a lot of people. And hey, a good chunk of them haven't been too shy about sharing that with me. So there was quite a bit of personal discomfort. And it's even down to silly things, right? I mean, silly things relative to their importance in the world, right? So I will scour the web 
uh, sometimes uh, in the evenings I will scour the web looking for libertarian blogs, looking for libertarian societies, looking for objectivists and anarchists and atheists as the blogs and societies and so on. And then I will send off invitation emails to Freedom Aid Radio. And uh, I don't know, I think some people have come by, I've been cross-linked and so on, and that's been good. But what has happened is I occasionally get, like I got one uh, last night, I think it was, I got an email back where I'd sent uh, one of my invite emails off to a woman, and she says, she wrote back and she said, uh, spam is not a libertarian concept, right? So I read that, and of course there's a little sting in that, right? There's a little uh, a jibe, right? That, that you're not a libertarian because you're invading my inbox or something like that, right? And so uh, spam is not a libertarian concept. So of course all of these replies pop through my head, and uh, a lot of them are pretty cutting, you know, like, oh, I saw you... You, you put yourself, you put your email out there, you put your ideas out there, but you don't want anyone to contact you about sharing ideas. I see. And because it was kind of a jerky response, my particular uh, impulse, which was a false self-impulse, was to lash back, right? Because obviously this was a, uh, you're a bad guy, you're invading my inbox, it's this unsolicited spam, you're a, you know, whatever, right? So she got to because I put my return address, right, she got to lash out at someone. Maybe she gets a lot of spam. Lord knows I do. And uh, so she had to lash out at a spammer. Uh, you're a bad libertarian. You're in- invading my personal property or whatever, right? And, uh, of course, that doesn't help at all, right? So my impulse was to write something back pretty cutting, right? Oh, okay, so you're sort of for the free market but not for any kind of advertising. Isn't that interesting? So you put your email out there but you don't want anyone to contact you with resources that you can use that might help, blah, 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 right? So anyway, I just wrote back and said, I'm so sorry, I generally don't consider it spam if I don't charge for what it is that I'm doing, and it's commercial free and so on, but uh, I won't bother you again, right? So um, I sort of wanted her to at least understand. So uh, this is a silly, tiny example where I felt a bit of a stab, and a couple of cutting uh, responses came back, but uh, of course it doesn't doesn't really help. So in terms of managing discomfort, what I felt was, I felt, oh, I'm a... I'm a bad libertarian, I'm a bad respecter of property rights. And, of course, I would feel this sometimes when people would write to me and say, uh, uh, oh, you sell to the government, how hypocritical is that, blah, blah, blah. Right? And so I'd go, oh, maybe I am hypocritical, maybe I'm telling you. So I would have those impulses where I would feel sort of a kind of a, a strong and unpleasant self-doubt in, in what it is that I'm doing. And, of course, I, I sent a... Um, an email off to this guy Tyler who runs marginalrevolution.com with my friend Alex inviting him to come and listen to a podcast on the minimum wage and he wrote back and said hey thanks so much I appreciate it right so, so it just goes to show you how subjective all of this sort of stuff is so just because somebody else is managing their feelings through negative action towards you or attempting to doesn't mean that you should do it in return, right? So my guess is that this woman, I think it's a woman, this woman uh, got an email from me inviting her to a libertarian podcast. And I I don't say free because I ask for donations, but of course it's all perfectly voluntary. But she got this and so she got angry. She got angry at me and she didn't have any curiosity. Like, how did this person get my email? Uh, I wonder why this person is sending me I obviously have a libertarian blog, like I'm not sending it to the Republican Party. And I've got this libertarian blog. I've got my email right there. So if somebody sends me a libertarian resource, that's not perfectly illogical, right? But 
obviously she just got angry at me. And rather than sort of look at her own anger and say, ah, okay, well, if somebody's sending me a libertarian resource, I'm a libertarian with my email on the web, uh, it's sort of like being a heavily public figure and then being irritated because you're a public figure. It doesn't make much sense, right? So rather than her sort of looking at her own feelings and saying, well, gee, I wonder why I'm so angry. Let me, let me at least go have, before I sort of flame this guy or give him a sort of snarky email, let me at least go and have a look at this site and blah, 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 right? And if she doesn't want to go and look at my site, then obviously she doesn't care that much about the email and so why send a response to me. And I have had a few people who've asked me to take them off their list, and of course I don't contact them again. I don't, I don't really email anyone again, right? Because I just figure uh, I don't want to spam people, so I'll just send them one invite, and if they come, great. If not, I'm not going to bother them again. So but by sort of, she felt irritation, she jumped to conclusions, and then rather than try and figure out why one little email <laughs> makes her so angry, rather than anything to do with that, she just sends an email back with a sort of nasty cutting sort of remark. And I got to tell you, an email in my inbox that's not solicited, I, I just don't really see the point in taking time. Yeah, maybe I'll block the sender or maybe I'll whatever, right? But in taking the time to write back a cutting email, this is obviously somebody who's experiencing a feeling that they don't want to experience and like anger, frustration, irritation. It's got nothing to do with me, right? What does she know, right? She might, these podcasts might change her life, right? Who knows? Probably not if she's sending snarky little responses back, but who knows? But this is somebody who is not, uh, who is experiencing anger and frustration and not sort of saying, well, this seems like rather a strong reaction for one little email that's come from a fellow libertarian who's offering a free resource. I mean, this seems like quite a... Uh, you know, so maybe I should sort of figure out what's going on. No, she doesn't want to explore her own feelings. She wants to discharge her feelings, right? She wants to do this sort of cathartic boom and get them out. So then when she discharges her feelings and she sends an email, the snarky email back to me, then she feels like she's done something right. She's, she's pushed back at the spam beast or whatever, and she's done the right thing and... and, and asserted herself or stood her ground or something like that, told me what's what. And then her feeling, of course, is relatively well managed through her actions towards me. Of course, not personal towards me or, or anything like that, and it's just uh, her way of managing her own anger and frustration. Because, of course, if she acts it out against me, then it's nothing to do with anything else in her life, right? Which I can't imagine it's not. I mean, obviously, there is other things in her life that are making her angry and frustrated. It's not really coming down to my email, but by acting on my email, she gets to manage all, all the other aspects of her life that are causing problems, perhaps. And the people who send me angry emails about their families, or I even had one from a couple from a guy, guys who were uh, really big on Marx and the fact that I had a negative email about Marx, it causes them a, a, a acute discomfort. And rather than sort of say to themselves, well, I wonder why this person's opinion is making me so angry, Instead, they sort of flame me with an email about, you know, what kind of idiot is going to compare Marx to this and that and the other, and Marx was, blah, 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 this wasn't his, right? They're not engaging me with any curiosity, and they're certainly not trying to correct me in a way that sort of is positive or productive. They're just, you know, flaming me, and they're hoping that I'm going to take up the whip and keep flaming myself. And so I find that to be sort of interesting. If you were to dig into it, and if I were able to sort of get the truth out of these people, I bet you it would go something like this. Uh, my father taught me that Marx was good, uh, and uh, I'm a socialist, or my, my parents are socialists, or my friends are socialists, 
and I've been taught that socialism is really great, and this guy is telling me that socialism isn't great, and he's doing it in a half-hour podcast with lots of facts and lots of uh, theory, and the fact that nobody has ever mentioned this to me before, but Marx was just taken to be great, indicates that, at the very least, I've been given a somewhat one-sided view of communism or socialism or Marxism or something like that, which means that people haven't given me the right objectives, but they've acted as if it's true, telling me that Marx is good and so on. And this is, let's just say it's my parents. My parents are Marxist professors. They tell me Marx is wonderful. And then along comes this oddly accented Brit boy, and he tells me that Marx is not good, and he has some, you know, arguments that aren't deranged, and he's doing it in half an hour, right? I didn't have to take a full year course to understand this, so it's not like it's that hard to communicate. It might be hard to think up, but it's not that hard to communicate. And so if it's really that easy to communicate some of the flaws and problems within Marx, then the professors, my parents, my teachers, my friends, whoever, kind of were giving me a, like a one-sided thing. They were telling me something was absolutely true, but they never addressed any of the arguments in this relatively simple half-hour podcast. Therefore, they were probably lying to me. They were probably manipulating me. And so the moment somebody hears something about Marx, and we're just taking a fairly simple example, you can substitute just about anything, the moment that somebody takes something fairly simple, uh, fairly simple objections to Marx and hear it, then they don't have answers to it, and they then get uncomfortable. Because the, 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 the proposition rears its ugly head that they might have been lied to by people who claimed that they knew the truth, but were in fact merely uh, re-expressing prejudicial beliefs, one-sided beliefs, and passing them off as the truth, which means that they're not good people in terms of intellectual integrity, but of course they came across and told this whoever is listening to my podcast that, the, that we are good people, we're, we really care about the poor, this, that, and the other. And so when people hear my podcast about Marx, they have a huge amount of discomfort. And rather than say, well, this is interesting, I wonder why I would be getting so angry at somebody who is, you know, trying to do right by Marx in terms of uh, he understands the viewpoints and he's got some objections and, of course, you know, 70 million people did die in Russia and so on. So why would I get so angry at somebody? If, if that person is malevolently twisting Marx's views, then being in communication with them isn't really going to help, right? This is somebody who's just working out weird issues. Maybe he was beaten with dust capital when he was younger. So getting in touch with that kind of person is not really going to do much good, right? Somebody, If somebody says that the free market is Satan, then I don't really, I don't really have a debate with them, right? The free market is not Satan. It's actually Beelzebub. No, wait, Zeus. No, wait, it's uh, some other Cerberus. So you don't really have debates with people who just come up with crazy ideas and attach evil labels to what it is that you're talking about and don't have any arguments. So I must have some kind of argument in order. Right? It can't be just insane, because otherwise they wouldn't... Like, I must have struck a nerve, I guess that's what I'm saying. Otherwise they wouldn't send me emails saying I was an idiot for what I believed about Marx. But they experience anxiety, and they desire to act on it in order to discharge those feelings. So they send me an email which is kind of pissy and kind of aggressive and then sort of walk away dusting off their hands and say, well, I showed him, and then their, their discomfort kinds of, kind of uh, goes away, right? So if you become a conduit of abuse, then you get to not feel the vulnerability that occurred when you actually were abused, right? So uh, let's just say that your dad raised you 
that you never ever question authority. And then you come across someone like me who, yeah, I'm not so big a problem questioning authority. And you then get very uncomfortable because I'm disproving the absolute, you must never question authority. Or those who question authority are bad people. I think it would be kind of hard uh, to listen to a couple of podcasts and say, ooh, that Steph guy, he's a bad fella. He is just downright desperate and nasty. And so it's hard for me to sort of people say, well, he you know, seems like a fairly genial and merry fellow, and uh, so he's got a good relationship with his wife and successful career, so he can't be all bad. And so it's kind of hard for people to say that I'm a bad guy. So what's happening is they're kind of coming across living proof that it may actually be a good thing to question authority, whereas they've been told, you can't question authority. Now, what they need to then do, as I've mentioned before a couple of times, is they need to normalize that behavior. So they need to say that, yes, telling people not to question authority is a virtuous action. And so what I'm going to, and, and doing it in an abusive way, as my father did to me, is a good thing to do. So snarling at someone and being pissy and, and hostile, uh, as my father was to me, is a virtuous and good action. And the best way to prove to yourself that something is a virtuous and good action, when it's not, is to do it, is to mimic it, is to repeat it, right? So, and it, that avoids you from feeling the pain of having been mistreated, right? When you mistreat others, then you get to avoid the pain of being mistreated yourself. And the problem is, of course, that you get trapped in sadomasochistic relationships for the rest of your life, so yeah, there's a downside. But the upside is that you don't actually ever have to confront your own father, you don't ever feel the acute pain consciously of having been abused, and so it seems like a, a relatively good idea. And Nietzsche talks about this quite a bit. Then uh, people who are mistreated, they become overcharged with hostility, and then they vent it on other people and feel better. Right? This is sort of how emotions get a bad name, because the emotion that's not applied to its just and proper object will always be abusive. Right? So, if uh, somebody lied to some guy about Marx his whole life and uh, probably about a whole lot of other things, and then he gets mad at me instead of getting mad at the people who lied to him then it's going to come out abusive, right? But if you get angry at the people who've done you wrong, then you're in good shape, right? Your anger is appropriate, and it's going to be positive and liberating and healthy. But if you then switch the anger over to an innocent party and act out the abuse that was performed against you in order to normalize it and avoid the pain of having been abused, then you are going to uh, end up in a particular kind of personal hell that I wouldn't even want to contemplate. So let's have a look or listen to uh, I'm, I'm listening to Seymour Hersh's uh, Chain of Command, I think it is, where they talk about, well, he talks about the uh, situations that led up to the uh, Abu Ghraib uh, tortures. Abu Ghraib tortures, as they, uh, they pronounce it, which I'm sure is correct. And so one of the, uh, an exchange was sort of interesting. Of course, there was a lot of sexual humiliation going on in these prisons, and people say, well, it's because they know that in Arabic, men uh, aren't supposed to have any homosexual thoughts or feelings, being naked in front of another man is bad, and so they're torturing them that way. But I wouldn't say that it's that sophisticated. So one of the things that they did was they had prisoners simulate oral sex with each other, uh, they sodomized them with uh, broomsticks, and they, uh, they put them in sexual positions, and they had to masturbate and so on. And... There's an exchange that I think is, is very interesting, that one soldier went into one of the sort of 666 layers of hell that was Abu Ghraib, and the, the, a woman and a man, it was Lindy England, and I, her lover, I think, but a woman and a man were uh, making, a, uh, the sexual, making the prisoners lie in sexual positions and masturbate and so on, 
And the guy said, wow, look at these guys. You leave them alone for these animals. You leave them alone for two seconds and look what they get up to. Ha, 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 orgy, orgy, orgy. And then the woman said, hey, look, he's getting hard, right, because he's masturbating himself. And this, to me, is a very interesting phenomenon. I mean, sick and evil, but interesting. And the reason that it's interesting is because there's simply no possibility. I absolutely guarantee this. I would put my whole intellectual reputation on this. Absolutely no possibility that these people did not experience in did not experience sexual abuse when they were younger. They absolutely, totally, and positively experienced sexual abuse as children, because what they're doing in Abu Ghraib is normalizing sexual abuse. So what they're doing is they're saying right because people who abuse uh, children. Uh, don't think that the children find it horrifying to be abused. What they feel is that the children are naturally curious and sexual and that they take pleasure out of sexual interactions with adults and you know, they're all horny and uh, they all you know, want to get involved and they want to do it and all that kind of stuff. Right? They don't say, I'm torturing this poor child's innocence with premature sexual activity and giving them a horrible secret to hide and gnaw at them for the rest of their lives. And they say, uh, nah, they want it, there's, you know, children are sexually curious, look at the Mayans or whatever, they come up with all this nonsense anthropology. And what they're, what they're doing, though, is they're saying that these uh, children really uh, wanted it, right? So this, of course, was the perspective of their abusers when they were sexually abused as children. So what they're saying is that if you leave these uh, victims, these uh, victims who are completely in my control... If you will leave them alone for a moment, they will voluntarily jump all over each other and simulate orgies and masturbate and so on. And so all human beings, if you don't watch over them and, and, and so on, they will just start having orgies spontaneously uh, with each other, uh, gender irrelevant and the fact that they're prisoners irrelevant. And so what's happening is they're actually forcing them, the, 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 the prison guards are forcing the prisoners into sexually compromised positions and then saying to other people, look, they want it, they love it, they're keen on it, they live for orgies. And it's the same thing with what Lindy in England said, which was, look, he's getting hard. And what that means is that we're forcing him to masturbate and look, he's getting hard. In other words, he really wants it. We've liberated him, right? We're doing him a good thing because he really does want to masturbate and he really does want to get uh, sexually excited and now that we've forced him into this position he's loving it right i mean this is what abusers do right they don't uh, they can't process the vulnerability and horror of being put into those kinds of situations or they refuse to process it so what they do is they normalize it so they say what i'm doing is a good thing it's liberating these people they would do it anyway and uh, and of course they only say this to outsiders right which is exactly what their abusers did to them Right, their abusers abused them and then said that uh, uh, they they wanted it. Right, I mean you see this with with the rapists as well. Right, she really wanted it and uh, now she's changed her mind for whatever reason. Now she's uh, you know and there's and there's hypocrisy that's always considered to be going on in these kinds of situations. Right, so uh, when a rapist uh, rapes a woman, he says to some degree or another, she wanted it, she led me on, and now she's been she's been caught that she wanted a bad boy, and now she's just hypocritically saying that she didn't want to, and so on. So what happens is that these people are not experiencing their own horror and, and uh, moral catastrophes that occurred for them as children. They're not processing any of that stuff. 
And so because they're not processing it, they have to manage their feelings. This is an extreme example. They have to manage their feelings by acting out the abuse that they themselves refuse to process. Because the abuse happened. And that can't be ignored. Because that, you know, these people were sexually abused as children. And, or at the very least, physically uh, violently abused. And so that occurred. That can't be ignored. That's a basic fact. And so they can't sort of live as if that abuse didn't occur. And either they're going to deal with it and deal with the vulnerability, the rage, the shame, all of the problems that go along with the sexual abuse, or they're going to go the other way. They can't sort of go in the middle because it actually happened and it was horrifying. So they, they either have to act it out and say that it was a great thing uh, and thus become the abusers, uh, which is a way of managing their own feelings through actions rather than through contemplation. Uh, and that is obviously horribly unjust and is one of the roots of the great evil in the evils in the world. So uh, thanks so much for listening. Hope you're doing well. Have yourselves a great weekend. I guess I will chat with people on Sunday using Skype. Uh, check on the boards for all that. Sunday, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, drop me some cash. I would really appreciate it. And a uh, new Lou Rockwell article. Have checked that out. And uh, sign up for FeedBurner and take a listener survey, please. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon.